This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, we want to welcome you to the first episode of Real Talk post-August long weekend. I'm sure that uh, some of you have uh, have just arrived back home. Some of you are still on the road. Some of you are recharged, ready to go, and some of you are absolutely exhausted. All of these, of course, ideal circumstances as we do whatever we can to squeeze the last remaining bits out of this beautiful summer. Thank you for joining us today. In just a second, we're going to get to Charles Adler, his take on the top stories making news across the country, including the Prime Minister of Canada taking his son to the Barbie movie. That's right. It's triggered thousands of his loudest critics, John. Thousands of Trudeau critics can't believe that it wasn't a pair. I think they, they can't wrap their minds around Justin Trudeau and his son Xavier proudly on Team Barbie, oh rocking the pink T-shirts, gosh. the pink hoodies. The humanity. The billion-dollar grossing <laughs> movie. That movie is unbelievable. Breaking records, yeah. yeah. Greta Gerwig continuing to, to uh, you know, solidify herself as as one of the great all-time box mm-hmm. office earners uh, with that movie. But it was, it, was uh, it was kind of like half hilarious and half totally discouraging to read the comments <laughs> yeah. to the Prime Minister's post uh, after attending the Barbie movie. I, I think it's safe to say the majority of them, uh, at least the loudest critical ones, uh, about as homophobic as they get. But I want to get to Charles Adler's take on that. And then the UCP government here in Alberta declaring a six-month moratorium on green energy projects so there'll be no new wind and solar projects given the green light in the province of alberta for the next six months they say they're responding to concerns from rural landowners on a whole bunch of fronts seem to us to be a perfect opportunity to get into this from a number of different angles so today we're going to talk to binu jackamar the director of the pembina institute's electricity program we'll get her take on this story tomorrow on wednesday's real talk we're going to talk to the united conservative party's environment minister uh, the honorable rebecca schultz will join us on the show and then we'll get the ndp's critic uh, najwan el junaid out of calgary who will join us on thursday's show so you're going to get can you have three different sides of a coin? I, I guess not. We're gonna <laughs> no. have to we're gonna have to find a different way to frame it. But three different angles on this. We'll get one from an expert in industry. We'll get one from uh, the minister, obviously a, a government spokesperson to, to to say it to put it that way. Uh, minister Schultz joining us on the show. It'll be her first interview on Real Talk since she was seeking the leadership of the UCP. So it's been a while. It'll be good to connect with her again. And then and then uh, Najwan will be making her Real Talk debut. Remember, she was one of those that, that knocked off an incumbent uh, down in Calgary in a hotly contested race. And so uh, we'll have lots to talk about this week. Uh, we'll get to what else is coming up. Uh, many of you had a lot to say about some of our conversations last week. I've got emails in front of me. I do have one from Shalane on the Barbie movie. We've got an email from Deanna on smoking. I want to get to smoking and vaping, Johnny. And then uh, Travis Travis wrote us an essay on the Canadian Football League. Uh, in particular, our roundtables, our panel's comments on the Edmonton Elks on Friday. And it didn't sit well Uh-oh. with Trav, who wrote us a great email. Um, and so we're <laughs> going to make sure that we uh, make some time for those. Uh, we love when you interact with the show. As I just told you, if you subscribe to our weekly email, you know you've got that fresh in your inbox this morning. Adler coming up in 30 seconds. But first, we want to recognize this. 
this episode presented by our friends at We Know Training. And, you know, anytime you're talking politics these days, political policy in particular, there's, I mean, one subject that's going to come up again and again and again, and that is the cost of living. I probably don't have to tell you that it's gone crazy over the last while, but it's no surprise to learn that that's not limited to just households. The cost of doing business has gone up as well. If you need to boost your business's revenue, one of the absolute best things that you can do is to create a standout training program. We Know Training is your best training partner for creating courses and programs that sell. They've helped associations, regulators, nonprofits, and more generate millions of dollars in revenue without any extra work for their teams in creating, managing, and selling those training courses. You want to learn more? Visit weknowtraining.ca and see what they could do for your business today. Well, on the heels of long weekends, we get to chat with Charles Adler on Tuesdays. Uh, this is one of those days as we check in with the Titan of Talk, the Emmy Award winning talk show host, and of course, the host of the Charles Adler Show, his new podcast project. My friend, welcome back. It's nice to see your face again. It's nice to see you, Ryan, and it's nice not to be Rebecca Schultz. Why is that? Because I, I don't want to be the, the person representing a government that is forced to be asked by Ryan Jesperson. So what is it about 2023 that's complicated? I don't want to be the person to have to deal with that. Mm, this, this is uh, for people that aren't familiar with this story. This is uh, Alberta's announced a pause on renewable energy projects, citing rural concerns. Uh, they say that they're, they're, they've been hearing from constituents in rural Alberta about development on agricultural land, about the effect on scenery. Uh, reclamation security and system reliability. It sounds to me like you don't buy it. Well, I just, when you've got what, how many thousands of gallons of orphan wells need to be cleaned and, and, and you're, you know, making this a, a landscaping issue, I guess it is, 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 is a lot of old uh, contaminated uh, crude, um, is that is that easier on the eyes than than windmills? Well, once again, we're in 2023. Alberta wants to be the energy capital of, of North America. How do you do that when you're saying no to green energy? I mean, this is uh, this is like saying no to the wheel in the 16th century. Just just I, I don't see the point. Yeah, I mean, uh, industry voices. We'll, we'll hear from uh, a spokesperson from Pemina Institute in just a second. And, and obviously, I'm sure that as we take this on this week, as we tackle this this week, we're going to hear from more because uh, there's probably a million angles to this. Um, one of the very valid angles to this is that Alberta has been a leader um, when it comes to renewables. As a matter of fact, development in, in Canada in particular, just last year, 17% of Alberta's power came from wind and solar, which exceeds the province's 15% goal. And there's currently another 15 renewable energy projects before the Alberta Utilities Commission. Uh, these are all going to be placed on hold. Uh, one of the common uh, responses to this story that I've seen, one of the recurring responses, and it's no surprise, uh, is people wondering aloud, since when did a conservative government stand in the way of economic development? And I think that that's a pretty fair question. I, I honestly think that in the last campaign, uh, many small C conservatives like me sort of held our noses and voted for Danielle Smith because the premise was, well, she's not going to be bad for business. The conservative government is not going to turn down business. 
So it seems to me that right now they're turning down billions of dollars of private, once again, private capital chasing today's energy called green energy. At some point, there's an evolution from fossil energy to green energy. Alberta has the golden opportunity to have a fist on each. Why not have a fistful of dollars as opposed to a fistful of, of weird questions? And the weirdest question that anybody can be asked in the energy business in 2023 is, what the hell don't you understand about modern? Mm. What the hell don't you understand about today and tomorrow in the future. If, if the future is a problem for you, you've got a problem. I'm kind of putting the call out. Uh, I, I mean, you're essentially putting the call out with, with, with your comments here. And I know that we're going to hear from people talk at ryanjesperson.com is how the, you can email us and check. I'm sure you and I will hear from a bunch on Twitter. In particular, I'd like to hear from members of our rural audience. Um, you know, this is where the government says the concerns coming from. And, and, and there's a there's there's an, an advocacy group. Chuck, you may call them a lobby group, rural municipalities of Alberta. People know RMA. Um, Paul McLaughlin says that their members uh, have too many abandoned wells. Exactly what you're talking about. They say too many abandoned wells. This is the Calgary Herald's reporting and other oil and gas infrastructure on their land. So they say essentially uh, they don't want to get burned twice. Right. He says that, you know, this isn't a compliment to oil and gas. He says we've learned a lot from the oil and gas industry, and I'd sure hate to see the same thing happen to solar operators. They say that while farmers and municipalities are, are getting tax and rent revenues uh, from renewable energy, there's also concerns that agriculture will be displaced. That is a valid concern. Um, how valid it is relating to green energy remains to be seen, and that's what we'll hash out on the show this week. But I wouldn't go ahead and, and immediately dismiss that. Do you know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? We probably don't pay enough attention to how ag is being displaced. And it's not certainly just green energy. Look at how we grow our cities out, right? Look at all the topsoil that we lose. You talk to any farmer, they'll talk your ear off for an hour on how we're making, uh, in some cases, what they would describe as irreparable mistakes. So are, are the cows complaining about solar panels? <laughs> are there solar panels being put in the dairy barns? I mean, get serious. I mean, I'm sorry, I, I I don't like it when people in rural Canada, whether it's rural Alberta or rural Manitoba, are, are portrayed as hicks. These are agribusiness people. These people understand business. They understand private capital. They understand the importance of the energy business. All of it. Green, brown, all of it. They understand the importance of it to the province of Alberta. And uh, the idea that we're not going to move into the future as quickly as possible because we've got to appeal to, to the so-called political base in rural Alberta. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. If the NDP had said during the campaign that the Conservatives would do this, the Conservatives would have denied it. I'll, I'll ask you the question. I'll just be a nice guy here and ask you the question. If the NDP had said, if Rachel Notley had said during the campaign that the Conservatives would stand in the way of private capital chasing green energy projects in Alberta, if Notley had made that accusation about Smith, what would Smith have said, Ryan? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously there'd be huge criticism around standing. Like, this is what what I bring it back to, and this is where I think uh, one of the conversations needs to focus on, which is what does this do to economic momentum? What message does this send to other jurisdictions, not, not just other Canadian provinces, uh, but what message does this send internationally? Like, you and I have, have long talked about, you know, 
I don't want to get too deep into a rabbit hole, but one of the things that's really fascinated me is how Calgary has has introduced new slogans every few years, right? Calgary is constantly, you know, putting up new billboards on the way into Calgary, welcoming you to Calgary, and it's like heart of the new west or feel the energy. And I think that there has been a concerted effort. You even look at how Trans Canada, look at way back in the day, and it's a long story, but Trans Canada pipelines, TCBL, what is it now? TC energy, right? The word yeah. energy. There's huge potential there, uh, which would imply that you know those that are you know sitting around the big boardroom tables, those that are making multi-billion-dollar decisions, recognize that there's huge potential here with renewables. Uh, although some of the big traditional oil and gas players have divested themselves of renewable assets in the past little while, I'm curious to know what this does to Alberta's economic reputation you know i mean what's the true cost of an announcement like this there's not a single province in canada no matter no matter what some of them say publicly there's not a single province in canada that doesn't have alberta envy everybody would want to have alberta's resources and everybody would want to have alberta's attractiveness toward new canadians and to canadians who are living in different parts of canada who want to come to alberta it is their promised land and everyone sees alberta as the province of the future, regardless of some things that Smith may have said in the campaign or during her talk show career or lobbying career, regardless of all that political crap, most people in this country see Alberta as a province of the future. And so this one is is a bizarre story. There's no money in it. Uh, they, they, this, is, this is not about conservatives being for free enterprise. This is about conservatives worrying about a relatively small number of people in their province uh, who have been stoked on fear? It's it, it's 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 total fear mongering to say that if Alberta becomes a province of of lots of solar panels and money involved in the solar panel industry, the solar industry, and the wind industry, it's it's fear mongering to say that that will be the death of the Alberta economy. It is one to me. It is one of the most important igniters of the economy because you talk about symbolism in Calgary, symbolism of today and the future and opening the door to the new West, the new Canada, the new world and all the rest of it. These are the icons that Alberta at the moment is trashing mm. and trashing the icons of the future and the future of energy. Once again, I, I don't have to be a Wall Streeter to say it makes no sense. Mm, I want to drop into our live chat here. Alberta Girl says our farmland should never be used for green energy until every single roof is covered in solar panels. I mean, you do see the big solar farms. I mean, they are what they are. Uh, you know, Anna says solar panels says I'm not against renewable energy. You have a short life cycle and they're a mess to clean up and they're often abandoned. The panels are waste products. I mean, there's there there's some criticism around it for sure. Um, you know, Kirk says solar needs to be on the reclaimed land at the Genesee power plant. It's an easy connection to an existing power grid. That's an interesting one. Bunny Slippers says, oh, come on. There were cows among the turbines when I drove down south the cows didn't seem to care about the view uh, Chuck it really is something uh, uh, just this weekend I drove down around Crow's Nest Pass southern part of the province absolutely magnificent that cowboy trail they call it Highway 22 is just stunning but the closer that you get to Lethbridge in that part of the country uh, part of the province uh, like, like the the uh, the wind turbine presence is unmistakable because there's obviously huge opportunity windy. there, right? Anybody that's visited Lethbridge knows that that thing blows. It's windy. No offense, it's Lethbridge. Windy. There are there there's no city in this country more windy 
than Lethbridge. If you've got true. like equilibrium issues, you got to stay out of there. Otherwise, it's a wonderful place with yeah. wonderful people. And of course, I'm always beholden to all of the people who listened to, to my various shows in Alberta out of, out of Lethbridge. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you, no, you you're said not. Lethbridge I, and I'm thinking wind. I'm know. just saying there's a ton of opportunity down there yeah. and a lot of people are capitalizing on that opportunity. I mean, it, yeah. it changes the landscape, but so do a lot of things. It, it seems to me, to, to, to be honest, to, to be a little bit, uh, not just hypocritical, but, but almost facetious, uh, people that would argue that, well, I'm concerned about wind in particular or solar panels because of the the uh, you know the the adjustment to the landscape to the view of the landscape that's something that i mean we've had no problem with obviously drilling rigs forever with development forever i don't i i, I don't quite understand that that seems to me to be of a, a bit of a red herring in the conversation if i'm missing a point again no. if if, no. if an audience member is screaming at the at the screen right now or screaming at their airpods uh, you can send me a note if i'm missing the point here uh ma says the land around wind turbines is being grazed i'm more choked about endless irrigation when we have water shortages there's another point there's another one kirk says wasting uh prime farmland for food production does need to be looked at so i mean you know these are concerns that that people want to have these conversations around um and that's why we're having the conversations on it this week um a six-month moratorium is i don't know if it's unprecedented but you don't see government step up and simply say we are halting industry we're stopping industry in its steps uh for half a year we're sticking a thumb on the dike yeah and and we don't want people worshiping the sun or or pandering to the wind yeah i'm sorry all of this is 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 hillbilly nonsense. Um, and once again, I, I, I just want to emphasize, because I have gotten so much contacts over the years from people in rural Alberta, there's nothing that makes them sicker than being portrayed as as, as 18th century farmers with, with, the, with the straw hats, with no machinery, uh, you know, sort of a, a p- pulling the mule. Th- these are modern business people of agriculture, and they understand the future. And they want their province to be part of the future. I get that a sliver of them. There are there there are some of them who are into this, you know, right wing political crap. But most of them just want to feed their families. Mm. Uh, this is interesting. Chad says, uh, "Did you notice that Disney uh, and I didn't uh, put solar panels over their parking lot in Paris?" Uh, says that it's the largest solar array in the European Union. That's interesting. Uh, Johnny and I were talking about this a while ago, too. I mean, in, in the comment earlier in the show from somebody that said, you know, solar farms shouldn't be anywhere near agricultural land until every rooftop has them. Um, I, I'm I'm blown away that more businesses don't have solar on the roof. And I think that there's a huge opportunity um, on two fronts. When you take a look at what some big cities, including New York City, have done on rooftops, Chuck, uh, number one is solar panels everywhere possible. Uh, and number two is, is putting grass up there. A lot of people are, are, are creating more greenery on top of their yeah. buildings, on the building fronts. And, and it's an, an interesting and really neat solution to some of the challenges that we face. I wouldn't be surprised. You look at new housing developments, a lot of builders like Jamin down in Calgary is an example. You know, Chuck, almost every one of their new builds, um, every single one of them, the houses come with solar panels on the roof. Like Jamin is, make is a, a builder. Here. They okay. want to do I, net. They want every home to be net zero within the next couple of years. I probably don't have the legal right to, to speak for Relay. Relay, Relay, the owner of this show. Okay, yeah, Ryan Jespersen's company, his family business. Okay? You got it. I don't have the right to speak for them. I, I feel like family, but 
I don't have the legal right to speak to them. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a, a prediction. How about you say it and then we'll let you know after if you're able All to right. speak okay, on our behalf. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Someday this show, the incredible Ryan Jesperson podcast. Okay, someday this podcast will be powered by solar. Ooh. Well, green energy will come to this program. Yeah. I mean, in a this way, program we will are. be produced because of green energy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I like I know your that maybe maybe some predictions are a little too bold, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to I'm going to stand on that one, Ryan. Yeah, I like where you're going with this, and our good friends at Kubi Renewable Energy, Chuck, will agree with you, and we'll talk a little bit more about them when we present positive reflections as we wrap up this episode. <laughs> But, I mean, you look at how their business is booming, the fact that they haven't stopped hiring people for three straight years. And I think it, it goes to show that there's a lot of momentum, a lot of progress on this front. Uh, you know, I, I mean, a lot of folks here are, are, are making great comments here from different perspectives. Greg says that land, you know, irrigated land is in the sunniest land is creating the most productive soil. Um, another says the moratorium. Uh, on this, on this green energy is long overdue, uh, but the United Conservatives are being hypocritical because there's a real mess from oil and gas that needs to be addressed. Michael, uh, with a zinger this morning, says there certainly was a lot of wind coming out of the Premier's office regarding renewables. There you go, Michael. That's two points for you. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know... Uh, yeah, this is. I don't know. You know, I don't know that this is one of those definitive. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to approach every single one of these three interviews. We got one with Pembina coming up here in in five minutes. We'll have one with the minister tomorrow, and we'll have one with the NDP's critic on energy on Thursday. And I'm going to approach all three interviews with an open mind, and we'll see who can convince me that this is either a, a, an excellent move, a prudent move, or or a boneheaded move. Uh, and, and and we'll try to. Uh, find a definitive answer on that by the end of the week, but it, maybe it'll be one of those time will tell type circumstances. We need to find a company called Open Minded mm. because that's what the Ryan Jesperson show represents. Nobody mm. is more open minded than my brother Ryan. Hey, I appreciate Brought that. To you by open. Every every comment that we say on this show is is chasing private capital. Yeah. That's the way to be for free enterprise in Alberta. There you go. Chase private capital. Don't stop it. Chase it. Yeah. Constantly, you know, the show is uh, what can we say? A living, breathing animal. It's got people be hunt for ducks, and I hunt for money. It's got to be got a problem with that. Not in Alberta, I hope not. Hey, Never. what was Justin Trudeau hunting for? Clicks, oh likes, and comments uh, over the weekend uh, 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 when he when he and his son Xavier attended the Barbie movie. Uh, he posts a photo of them, says we're Team Barbie, and the internet exploded. <laughs> his tweet, as of us speaking right this minute, Charles has forty and a half million views <laughs> and it's got uh, like uh, the comments uh, I, I, they're not exactly great uh, a lot of them but uh what what do you make of this you think he's trying to poke <laughs> the bear on purpose let, let me let me do a little bit of uh, wwjd uh, here what would jesus do um would jesus would jesus respond uh to justin trudeau's tweet with all this uh, homophobic stuff i don't think so but I, I sometimes wonder, and you know, just as I, I have no right to speak for Ryan Jesperson Company, I have no right to, to speak for Christians or Christianity. However, I have to say this based on my relationship with Christians over my my entire life, not just my professional life, my entire life. Okay, um, I don't understand how you can be on Twitter and post that you're a, a devout Christian and you you, you love your family. And then spew and spew and spew all this homophobic stuff about Justin. I mean, aren't you thinking about your children and your grandchildren? 
It, what if they see daddy uh, being phobic? Does that not bother you? I mean, what part of the Sermon on the Mount is about hating on anybody? So I just, if you could, if you could help me with that, Ryan, because you've got a, a much more Christian pedigree than I do. I mean, if you're a proud Christian man um, in Alberta and you're posting all this hate about uh, about Trudeau and 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 his pink shirt and Barbie and and blah 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 blah, don't you think about your kids when you're tweeting? Uh, don't you think about your kids when you're tweeting should be on a T-shirt? Uh, and that's maybe something, a t-shirt that we should, uh, in the spirit of your recent comments, maybe sell on our website. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, gosh, can you tell that I'm holding myself back from taking huge swipes at a community in general? But I, I don't think that this is the first time, um, if we look back to, you know, 2016, Trump getting elected, COVID, everything that's happened since, um, I think that people's understanding of what Christianity is and how it is to be lived um, has been bastardized and disgraced. And I think that uh, there's a real twisted understanding of what Christianity is all about right now. And and so, you know, I mean, I mean, it starts with like the subtle, like the really subtle, like kind of entry level, shallow end of the pool, homophobia, people that refer to him as like Justine instead of Justin. And then it just gets like gnarlier and nastier and dirtier and more deplorable from there. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of, we'll, we'll get emails I guarantee today from people that are Bible believing Christ following Christians that'll write in and say, don't loop us all into this. We understand well, that I mean, God I'm is love. But if, if, but, I'm a, if I'm a proud Christian father, uh, the, the last thing I want in, in my life is for my uh, Christian son or, or daughter to say, Daddy, why do you hate Justin Trudeau? And why are you calling him the F word and, and all those other words? Mm -hmm. uh, why, why are you, why do you hate gay people? Mm -hmm. I mean, do I want to confront that kind of question? Maybe, maybe some do want to confront that kind of question, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like the Christian thing to do. Yeah. Uh, do you think the Trudeau like did it on purpose? Like, do you think there, there's there's been some like interesting kind of social media moments from him recently when he reached out yeah. to Taylor Swift, you know, and was sort of like pleading with her on social media in good fun uh, to bring her tour to Canada. Uh, she famously did not even respond to the tweet, which gave Trudeau's critics some fuel for their fire. Um, and then this one. And I, I just wonder, like, is it as simple as a dad going to a movie with his son and saying we're team Barbie or is it more? Is it is it Trudeau kind of like giving the middle finger to his critics uh, and maybe distracting some of the conversation away from his separation from Sophie? I don't know. Well, it, you know, it wouldn't be unusual for a politician to be uh, trolling uh, people who, if they do um, come out and do the kinds of things they do, um, help him with, with their base. We always talk about the conservative base. I mean, liberals have a base too. And the liberal base uh, doesn't like those people who call Trudeau names and uh, engage in homophobia i mean so is he is he is he speaking to them probably uh is he speaking to what justin trudeau has always had you know the you know cool factor he's uh, interested in in pop culture he's engaged with pop culture so whether it's taylor swift or barbie you know justin trudeau is there uh, pride parades justin trudeau is there i mean you know justin trudeau beyond being a, a father uh is is a politician and uh, for a politician 
uh, to uh, guard his his own base uh, closely and to say in, in so many different ways that I support you. I mean, that's that's part of what he does. It's part of what he does very effectively, actually. I mean, uh, and, and by the way, what is, <laughs> if we just look at this in, in very visceral pop culture terms, what's the downside of being Team Barbie? I mean, if you're secure in yourself, there's zero downside. Um, if if you're completely insecure, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and desperately concerned about what your <laughs> equally insecure friends might think about you, then there's a whole bunch of downside, right? It's well, you know, if, if if you're if you're out there trying to if you're out there doing makeovers, you know, if you're you know lose the glasses, you know, put less product in the hair, change the clothes. I mean, if that's who you are, I guess you don't you don't do the team Barbie thing, but. Mm. You can accuse Trudeau a lot of a lot of things. He, yeah. You can't call him insecure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of the reasons he makes insecure men so insecure is because he's so secure. I yeah, mean, you know, it's kind of like people who who thrive on on envy of the wealthy. You know, they see a guy driving up in a Lamborghini and they want to blow themselves up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Piers Morgan. Uh, the international talk show host obviously uh, yeah. has has stated that he's so glad he's not Canadian <laughs> after Trudeau shared the photo of attending the Barbie movie with his son, says Piers Morgan, uh, mocking the Canadian prime minister. And uh, there was some pretty hilarious blowback to, to <laughs> Piers Morgan. A lot of people saying, well, we're not sure that you were ever yeah. invited to be Canadian. Well, Piers. Well, you know, I mean, first of all, nobody, nobody honestly thinks that Piers Morgan has spent a single a quiet moment of his life wondering about whether or not he should seek Canadian citizenship. So yeah. on the one hand, it's kind of silly, but it has brought many Canadians together. Many Canadians are left, right, middle, whatever. They're all into this. We're glad you're not Canadian. We're, we're, we're proud that you're not Canadian, you know, whatever. Uh, different people have different ways of, of saying it. But uh, Piers Morgan, you know, is trolling the world every day. Uh, he's a click whore. Uh, and he's very successful at it, and he was very successful at click whoring in the last 48 hours. Congratulations, Piers. I'm proud you're not Canadian, but I got to congratulate you for uh, staying true to your brand. Yeah, I wake I up that... every day and say, uh, thank God I'm not Piers Morgan. Yeah, so <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, yeah. minus the money. <laughs> I would take the money. Uh, I thought Charlie Angus was pretty funny on this one. The MP, NDP MP says, well, I was proven wrong. I never thought I would agree with this toxic windbag on a single issue. But here I stand with peers. Stay the hell out of Canada, mate. That from Charlie Angus. Uh, you can find uh, Charles Adler, of course, uh, on X, uh, formerly known as Twitter, at Charles Adler. Uh, Make sure, hey, well, it's true. I mean, that is a fact. It's what it's called now. Uh, uh, Mr. You, X. <laughs> Charles X Adler from now on. That's right. Charles, Charles X, X Adler. Adler. Uh, make sure to subscribe to Chuck's uh, podcast, The Charles Adler Show, and you can catch him on Mondays, unless it's after a long weekend, Tuesdays, right here on Real Talk. We'll chat with you in six days, pal. Have an energetic week. Oh, smart man. What a wordsmith, that Charles Adler. You think that Trudeau was was it was like intentionally poking the bear? You think he was of like, of course. You think he was fun. sort of like smirking I mean, and giggling as he posted the photo, or do you think it was? I mean, maybe, but in the end, it, if it wasn't so controversial, you're right. It's just him going to see a movie, yeah. with his son. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. It's, why is this such a big deal? This is great. I love this comment from Anna, uh, who says, uh, "You know, females." Says Anna. I'm yelling because it's in caps. 
This is a litmus test for any male in your life or any male that you're thinking about letting in your life. Take them to Barbie and ask them if the movie made sense. And their answer will tell you everything. Made a lot of sense. That from Anna. It was very witty. Very. You very, saw it opening weekend. You were like one Gre- of the first. Yeah, Greta's, Greta's very, very intelligent way of writing and yeah. getting the point across, but keeping it light and fun. And, and I, but I can see how people on the right are like, the indoctrination, but I can also people like people so worried they can about find that in anything. I'd love to see Pierre. I mean, Chuck kind of made the subtle reference to Pierre Polyev losing the glasses, less product mm. in there, changing them. I would love to see he's Pierre go, Polyev. He's going Ken style. Well, like, but why would? Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to see Pierre Polyev go to the Barbie movie sure. and tweet about it. Why not? I'd love to see. Of course, he wouldn't. Well, why? But, but like. Do people write anyway? This I would never drag politicians into this debate if they Mm-mm. weren't dragging themselves into it anyway. And it, it's just so the blowback was so predictable, uh-huh. but also just so weird. Yeah, like do these you know the, and these are the you know I've said this before many times is you know it's this is the crowd, mm-hmm. it's the crew that's always talking about the liberal snowflakes and, and all Hollywood the pansies and the snowflakes. And, yep. and then they get so triggered. <laughs> <laughs> by by a Barbie movie, so it's triggered, it's and hilarious, they're, and they're all against Hollywood. When yeah, Hollywood has its problems, but it's given us magic moments and memories from our childhood until today. If we didn't have Hollywood, Hollywood, we wouldn't have storytelling. We wouldn't have all the things, all the movies you know and love came out of Hollywood. All the stories. All the plays, all the all the stuff on Broadway that was taken from Hollywood. I mean, it's all. It, it just seems ridiculous to me. Yeah. Um, uh, nice to see uh, former Calgary councilor, candidate for mayor Jeremy Farkas in the live chat. A good morning to you, Jer, and and uh, bringing this back to the conversation about the renewables moratorium. Uh, keep in mind, this is coming from a conservative. Uh, Farkas says the renewables moratorium is nuts. He says it's not just bad policy, but it's bad politics. He says erratic moves like this will feed into the NDP narrative of what will she do next? And they'll hurt the UCP in Calgary. We got to get Jer back on the show. I'll reach out to him. Um, I wanted to read this email. This is from Shalane real quick. And then and we'll get to our guest from, from the Pembina Institute. Uh, Binu Jayakumar is going to be joining us, director of their electricity program in just a second. Uh, but we got this uh, email uh, from Shalane over the weekend. I love this. She says, Jess, I follow your wife, Carrie, on Instagram. You can find her on, at Carrie Skelton. Um, and I saw that she went to the Barbie movie. She did with her girls. Uh, it says it looked like they made a fun night around it, like so many are doing. Uh, she said, I went to the movie. Shalane says, I went to the movie with my mom. Her name's Barbara. And she has, I don't know why I said it like that, but she says her name is Barbara. And she's always been the OG Barbie to me. Uh, says, uh, my 14-year-old daughter joined us, my 10-year-old middle son, and we pulled out all of our old Barbies. Uh, my mom's from 1966, mine from 1988, and my daughter's from 2013. How cool is that? She says, it's the top movie of the summer. It's grossed over a billion dollars. It's still packing theaters. Uh, theater goers include our PM and his son, uh, which is obviously causing its own controversy. Uh, controversy including how Canadians are saying no thank you to that loser Piers Morgan. <laughs> Shalane says, more importantly, it has an amazing message for everybody, not just women. I, and I'd love if more people knew that it's not just a movie about a doll, but it also has a very thought-provoking and, an impa- and, and, and a, a glut of empowering messages. 
Um, Shalane says, I wish I could think of a perfect guest to suggest on Real Talk that could attest to and champion this movie. Says, but I'm sure your team can come up with somebody. I think it would make an all, an interesting, all-inclusive, and relevant show. Uh, she signs off your steadfast Patreon supporter, unwavering friend of the show, and loyal Ladukian. That from Shalane. I love it. That's great. We love hearing from you and, and, and knowing what you would love to hear on the show, a guest you would like to see on the show, topic matter you'd love for us to tackle, uh, and you can be in touch with us anytime. These conversations are presented by Real Talk sponsors like our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, and there is one message that we want to resonate and stick with you, and that is that August 10th, it's coming up this week, Thursday, August 10th, is Miracle Treat Day, and that means that every single cent that they collect from Blizzard proceeds, Blizzard sales at Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road in Sherwood Park are going to go to the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. They have raised seven figures for the Stollery over the years, and we can't wait to see the total this year as thousands and thousands of people show up in support of children's health resources and services. You know, the Stollery, of course, has patients from across Western Canada. It is the hub uh, for really critical medical supports based right here out of our home city of Edmonton. You can attend one of those Dairy Queens show up on August 10th on Thursday and grab a Blizzard or a few, or you can get in touch with them ahead of time and put in a big order. You want to buy Blizzards for everybody on the street? You want to show up at the soccer game or, or, or maybe the slow pitch game with a box of Blizzards? Perfect. Let them know ahead of time at Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road, and they will hook you up. So proud to partner we are with the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. If this is the time of year where you're starting to think, I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I hate to put it on your radar, but like in a month, kids are going back to school. And, and for a lot of adults, it makes sense that that's the time that you're going to pursue your post-secondary goals as well. Take a couple minutes today and poke around AthabascaU.ca. It's Canada's open university, AthabascaU is, with world-class accredited online programs and courses that offer you the flexibility that's one of the biggest drawing factors to Athabasca U. You're not going to fall behind on your courses if you need to step away for a bit or you want to take a family vacation or you're feeling under the weather or you need a mental health break. And you can also fast forward ahead if you like. And the numbers of AU alumni are really, really impressive. More than 95% of their grads say that they're satisfied with the quality of their education. More than 95%. That is an astounding number. Would recommend AU to others. And nearly 9 out of 10 say that they're working in a job related to their field of study. You don't get that with every post-secondary degree. Check out AthabascaU.ca today. You know, this studio that we show up to and, and work out of every single day is built by the team at Complete Care Restoration. And if you happen to be watching this on YouTube, you can see the job that they do. Every attention to detail, ultimate professionalism. It's a pleasure. It was a pleasure to work with them, and we're proud to partner with them. Now, nobody loves having to deal with fire damage, flood damage, mold, or asbestos, to say the least, right? Captain Obvious checking in. But if you have experienced that gut punch and you're getting set to rebuild, may we recommend a quick call to Complete Care Restoration. Your insurance policy quite likely lets you choose who does the work on your restoration project. We recommend that you choose Complete Care Restoration. And a shout out from our friends at Friesen Brothers. Number one, the first of every month, 
it's 15% off grocery purchases of $75 or more. So you got to make sure that you make a note in your calendar to visit a Friesen Brothers near you. There's 16 of them across the province coming up on September 1st. I don't want you to miss that. But I also want to let you know about their Family Essentials Easy Family Meal Solutions. Every month, they're introducing new ones. Okay, these are simple but really interesting recipes that can be made using the products that are featured in their Family Essentials Flyer. There's a ton of great summer recipes in this month's Family Essentials, from barbecue tips to salads to sips. And you can check out the full flyer available online at Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N.com. Had a wedding this Saturday catered by Friesen Bros. Oh, how was it? I I, I didn't even know, but I showed up because they weren't wearing like Friesen Bro, you know, chef uh, uh, clothing. But I recognized the person who was setting up the buffet table. And I said, hey, I saw you at the vegan buffet. You were the one in line. She's like, yeah, Friesen Bros is catering the wedding today. It was absolutely incredible. great. I saw an Instagram post. They wrote catering at Big Valley Jamboree as Mm -hmm. well this weekend, which would obviously be a huge deal. Which is something people might not think about, right? They're a grocery store, but they will cater your event. Oh, yeah. Through the full spread, it's great. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great shout out, and you can check out. Yeah, they've got uh, catering by Friesen Brothers. Just Google it, and, and you can find all those details. Uh, you're just trying to get us more free vegan pepperoni pizzas. Give us the food. I like that. Give us the food. We'll take it. All right. Like we said, uh, we're taking um, uh, sort of an, an across the spectrum approach to this moratorium on renewables this week. We want to hear from industry. We want to hear from people that are keeping an eye on industry, the expert eyes. That is. We'll talk to a government minister tomorrow. That's Rebecca Schultz, and we'll talk to an NDP critic coming up on Thursday. Right now, it's a pleasure to introduce you uh, to the director of the Pembina Institute's electricity program. Binyu Jayakumar has a ton of skills, expertise, and experience in this field from the power industry, uh, the government and nonprofit sectors, and a lot of experience in fossil fuels and renewable generation tech as well. Uh, she's worked as a plant and performance engineer at Transalta's generating facilities in Alberta, in Ontario, in Mexico. Uh, She's worked with the government in Ghana uh, as a consultant, focusing on local government effectiveness, and and she currently serves on the board of Blue Green Canada. She knows what she's talking about, and she's making her Real Talk debut today. It's so nice to see your face, and thanks for making time for us on this Tuesday. Hi, Ryan. Thank you for having me here. It's yeah, such an honor. Well, you bet. I mean, we, we wanted to go to somebody that, that has a, a really clear understanding of, of where the renewables sector is at in Alberta, what the growth has looked like, where Alberta stacks up to other provinces, and what this government moratorium might do or, or, or maybe might not. Uh, when you heard about this, this six-month moratorium, what was the first thing that crossed your mind? Uh, to be honest, I went and looked at mandate letters. Um, so one of the things I noticed was uh, Minister Nodorf's mandate letter actually says affordability is a top concern for Albertans and that the government should take proactive action to stabilize and reduce the cost to all Albertans. Uh, and the cheapest source of energy right now in Alberta is wind and solar. And this puts the brakes on that. Um, and I wouldn't say this is just the sentiment of hippie organizations or environmental organizations. Uh, just two months ago, the market surveillance administrator, which is sort of the referee for our electricity market, said in their report that the increased wind and solar in Alberta is actually driving down energy prices. And Pemina's recent report, we just published something a month ago 
we found that Albertans could save $600 a year if we convert it to a clean grid. So one of the first reactions I had was this is uh, creates risk for Albertans in terms of affordability of energy prices at a time when that's a major concern for folks. This is where the conversation has to go, Ben. You, you, you know it as well as I do, right? For, for the average person to really care about this. Uh, people, you know, we do care about the big picture stuff. Canada's, you know, the, you know, energy targets or net the road to net zero or emissions, tar- our commitment to Kyoto, whatever. But at the end of the day, people care most, like, what does my utilities bill look like at the end of the month? And what does that mean you know, regarding whether or not my family can afford to go away for a weekend to ride the water slides. Like that's what the average person really cares about. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, um, you know, this is why this is a, an economic issue, right? Um, uh, wind and solar have a lot of other benefits, but the biggest impact for us in Alberta is the electricity prices. Um, maybe another thing potentially that average Albertans also care about is jobs and what does their local community look like? Um, when we looked at this announcement, um, it could actually put at risk about a hundred projects, which represents $25 billion of investment. And what that means locally is tens of thousands of jobs and, um, local revenue. So, um, you know, the, town of um, Vulcan, for example, they get 45% of their municipal revenues from renewable energy projects. So these can make up a big part of a town's revenue. Um, ben, you, did you just say 45%? I know. It blew my mind too. Yeah, definitely. There are towns where they're losing some revenue from oil and gas uh, pipelines, for example, as the production drops or for some reason, as price of oil is low and they're looking to renewables as a more reliable source of income. Yeah, almost half. When you look uh, or, or as you take us along and we all look at, at neighboring provinces or across the country. So so immediately, you know, they say like B.C., Yukon, Saskatchewan and, and, and then on from there. Um, how does Alberta's decision here stack up to or compare what they're doing nearby? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a step in the other direction. Uh, it's really fascinating. Exactly. Uh, all the way from BC to Atlantic Canada, um, provinces are procuring more renewable energy. And it, it doesn't matter the ideology of the government in place. So even if you look at conservative governments in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, they all are investing in renewable energy. So this tells you this goes beyond party colors. Ontario actually recently issued the largest procurement for storage in Canada's history. Um, so yeah, so that's why it's a bit mind boggling that Alberta would go in the different direction. And what it tells me when I see conservative provinces investing in this too, it it tells me that this is an economic case, right? Like they are doing it for jobs. They're doing it for investments. Uh, they're doing it to bring prices of electricity down. Yeah. I mean, it drives me absolutely nuts when, when things like green energy or renewables become political hot potatoes, because I think that it's completely counterproductive. Um, and for that matter, uh, having grown up in ardent conservative circles, uh, like you just touched on, number one, um, economic activity is obviously a top priority, economic stimulus, economic opportunity, investment opportunity and attraction, et cetera, et cetera, are, are for many people a bedrock of, of, of where they place uh, their political beliefs. Uh, but also, I'd hate to be a conservative that was known for supporting a party that was against on principle 
where it made sense for energy to go. That's not exactly a flattering. Uh, I know we didn't bring you here to talk about political science, but I'm sure you have an opinion on this. It's not exactly a flattering look uh, for conservatives that are looking to keep government in Alberta and gain government federally, you know? And I'd say it goes even beyond voters, right? Uh, Look at the verdict we got from industry over the last several days uh, across the media coverage. It's been roundly condemned this moratorium. Um, They were not consulted as part of this. Um, And I would say it's not just renewable energy developers. It's also the investors that back them, many of them international investors and even corporations. So the likes of Maple Leaf, uh, Amazon are actually investing in Alberta. Uh, to buy renewable energy. So these are people you probably wouldn't think of in terms of electricity, but they have corporate goals and they want to get clean energy uh, to meet their goals. Uh, And that's honestly driven more than 95% of the renewable growth in Alberta. It hasn't been driven by any any citizen organization. It's by these corporations that are purchasing renewable energy. If you're just joining us, live streaming audio on the Mixler audio app presented by California Closets. We're talking to Binyu Jackmar uh, from the Pembina Institute, uh, where she's the director of the electricity program. So you, we'll hear from people that will say, hang on a second, though. You're, you're focusing too much on the economics of this. You're, that's not what this is about, right? The moratorium says the government, uh, says Minister Newdorf, Minister of Affordability and Utilities, that it's in response to rural concerns about development on agricultural land. Uh, they're concerned about the effect on scenery, which I, I think is kind of comical, but but I digress. I'll let you answer. Um, reclamation security, right? They're worried about what happens if the solar panels go belly up and if the, the wind turbines stop working and who's going to pay to get rid of them and what they'll do with that physical waste. Um, and, and then system reliability as well. H- how would you answer those, or at least how would you approach answering those objections? You know, scenery and protecting, you know, valuable mm-hmm. topsoil. Yeah, really valid questions, Ryan. And I've heard these questions in conversations too. So interestingly, Pemina actually published a um, a guide for landowners on how to approach renewable energy development back in 2010. So none of these are new issues. We've been talking about these for over two decades now. Uh, and I'd say uh, overall, there are some systems in place to take into account some of the concerns that people have. Um, well, that was quick. <laughs> and, we got a good uh, team, friend. <laughs> and uh, at the same time, uh, there there definitely is a bit of room for improvement. So let me tackle a couple of the things you brought up one by one. Uh, one is the value of agricultural land, and that's a very valid concern. Uh, but this is where I think part of these concerns are actually coming from Albertans' experience with oil and gas wells. And it's good that they are being cautious about this, but renewable energy is different. So while oil and gas wells can be built um, without the permission of the landowner, for renewable energy development to happen, they need permission from the landowner. So all of this development that we're talking about right now is happening on private land, and all of it has explicit agreements with the landowner. And I would trust our farmers to evaluate what the value of their agricultural land is. They know it, they've been working it forever. They know the economics and the potential of that land. So I would trust that they can enter into agreements. There are ways we can improve their capacity to do that, have more transparency, but fundamentally it's up to the landowner to do it. And this is power that they don't really have with oil and gas wells. The other piece on reclamation, again, I think it's a issue transferred over from oil and gas wells where uh, once you run out of oil in the well, uh, you don't have a source of uh, revenue. And so this is why we see a lot of orphan well problems. 
but you don't run out of sun or wind anytime soon. I think the sun's going to be around for a billion years. Um, so um, the issue is very different for renewable energy, right? At the end of life of this equipment, what's most likely going to happen is another developer will come and they'll repower this site with better equipment that will actually generate energy even more effectively a few decades from now. So, And they'll even repurpose the steel that's there. It's valuable steel. They're not going to let it go to waste. So in that sense, you know, the reclamation issue is a bit different. And I'd say for us, the magnitude is also different, right? We've got $260 billion of liability of oil and gas wells that we need, I would say we should tackle first uh, before doing this. But I would also say, let's continue doing best practices and improve uh, things with how we do renewable energy development. Uh, Pembina has always tried to do responsible energy development, regardless of what source of energy it is. Um, the last bit I also wanted to say on agricultural land, uh, I think you're right, Ryan, a lot of this conversation is happening in rural Alberta. Um, but I've seen with my own eyes, com combines coming right up to the base of a wind turbine and working the land around that. You know, most wind farms take up less than 5% of the land that they lease. So I think, uh, I think people don't understand also the develop, the impact on the land is very different uh, than what it is for oil and gas development. Yeah, uh, the, the, I can't stop. I don't know. I, maybe it makes me a prick, but I just can't stop laughing at the concern around impact on scenery. Like that's just not it's, it's not a thing. Uh, and and I anyway, I digress. I just think the average person would smirk at that. And I think that they should smirk at that because we seem to care about some things more than we care about others when it comes to impact on scenery. But I digress. Um, you've made an interesting argument that there is an Alberta advantage here there's an alberta advantage when it comes to renewables what is that yeah i mean we have amazing wind and solar in alberta right now that's why it's been so cheap for us to develop it here you know alberta is right now the leader of clean energy development in uh canada and that's what you're seeing there uh over three quarters of the capacity of renewables that's been built recently was built in alberta um, and the other thing, if you extrapolate this, is it actually creates an export opportunity for us. This is not the case for every province, uh, but if we actually decarbonize our grid, Alberta, which right now is a net importer of electricity from other provinces and states, can actually become a net exporter of electricity. And uh, this can only benefit us, right? So we don't have to just export barrels of oil, we can actually also export electrons. And uh, that can be a great source of revenue and economic development for us. We're going to be talking, as mentioned, to to Environment Minister Rebecca Schultz tomorrow um, on the show. And we've been talking to her team about the interview for a while. As a matter of fact, uh, the interview was confirmed before this moratorium was announced because we wanted to talk to her about her recent conversation with the federal Environment Minister, with Stephen Gilbo. And we'll get into that. Uh, when the Premier was last on this show, Danielle Smith talked about how you know there, there's concern around this plan to get Alberta uh, to a net zero grid by 2035. Uh, the premier is not convinced that that can happen. She said as much in the interview. People can check it out in our archives and we'll play a portion of that uh, on tomorrow's show. Do you believe that Alberta can achieve a net zero grid uh, in the next 12 years? I certainly think so. Uh, that's what uh, wakes me up every morning. Um, 
And I have a story to share about that, Ryan. Mm. Um, Alberta has actually shown that we can do this. And this is the story of Alberta's coal phase out. So back in 2012, the Harper government actually introduced the coal phase out regulation federally. Again, there was consternation around it, similar to what we're seeing right now. And that regulation would have actually seen Alberta close down its last coal plant in 2061. Fast forward to about 2015 and the province starts talking around multiple parties start talking about a coal phase out. Again, you hear start hearing words like unachievable. Uh, and this was only a short while ago, um, like, yeah, around 2015 through 2017. And then looking at it today, we know we're going to be phasing out coal by the before the end of next year. Um, and that's going to be about six years in advance of the 2030 coal phase out mandate. So that shows that Alberta can actually do this. And if you look a little bit deeper into how that happened, it was a combination of good policy and Alberta's industry's innovation. So the federal government had a regulation to phase out coal. They updated the Harper regulations um, in 2017. And then um, the province set a clear plan on how it was going to phase out coal. It consulted with industry and communities um, and several stakeholders to create a plan for that. And then we have a free market in Alberta that allows industry to uh, innovate um, regardless of, um, you know, extreme planning by the government. So what we saw was all the major generators of coal power in Alberta took different routes to decarbonizing. So some focused on betting big on wind and battery storage. Um, others uh, invested in carbon capture. In fact, the only new carbon capture projects that we have that are very likely to get built are actually happening in the electricity sector. And that's, I think, a byproduct of something that's happening with the coal phase out. Um, and then there's another company that's looking at blending hydrogen with uh, with gas in their power plants. So, you know, I think it's an excellent story of how Alberta's industry has responded with innovation when it got good direction in terms of policy and planning from the government. I'm, I'm hoping it, that you can use this platform um, to, to speak to some of the cynics around and, and quite frankly, to help people like me uh, better understand uh, the impetus uh, for, for a net zero grid, uh, because I think I think that people and, and, you know, it's just sort of like how the, the general public operates, like whether or not, you know, we're litigating the prime minister going to the Barbie movie with his son or whether we're talking about the road to a net zero grid. A lot of people, uh, including me have a bit of a pedestrian level understanding of the issues. And I see it when people comment on, for example, our conversation with Minister Gilbo a few weeks ago, where they believe that this is just the the, the, the liberal lefty move toward you know unachievable or unattainable or damaging environmental targets. You know, Canada doing more than it should have to do, considering that China and India and other big emitters are, 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 are doing, you know, crap all on the file that's their perception of it that's their understanding of it what is the argument for a net zero grid that could resonate with critics in alberta what would you say to the cynics where would you hit them on the effective points that you think might change their mind good challenge ryan my goal is to make electricity as sexy as the barbie movie yeah um, i i want to yeah have, I you, have you seen it by the way 
No, not yet. Yeah, okay. You will be on this moratorium work, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, um, I hope to. I hope to. Um, but uh, the net zero, I just want to clarify a bit. What do we mean by net zero grid? Um, I think I've heard this in some remarks over media recently also, where people think it's 100% renewables. It's most definitely not. That's the number one thing a net zero grid is not, is 100% renewable grid. A net zero grid means that we have very little emissions on the grid and any emissions that we do have, we negate it through carbon removals or other technologies. What that means for Alberta is that we can still absolutely have gas generation on the grid, um, but it'll require us to be more innovative on our gas generation. We should try and attach carbon capture to it or hydrogen, both of which are, I think, issues of interest to the current government. Uh, but with those innovative technologies, which we know companies are already doing, uh, gas can play a really important role in a net zero grid. Uh, so I wanna just address that concern first. And then what you're saying around why we should do this, how is this possible? Um, the thing you mentioned around like, is this a burden that we're just doing as Canada? I just wanna address that to start with. Um, so right now, all the G7 countries have committed to cleaning their power grid by 2035. Even if you didn't care about the rest of the world, just our neighbors to the South, who we trade a lot with and share so much with around economy and culture, uh, they've committed to a clean grid by 2035. In fact, they beat us on regulation uh, by uh, in May of this year, so a couple of months ago, the US uh, Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA released their version of a clean electricity regulation to try to get their grid to a clean grid by 2035. So these books are already moving. Uh, we know the techno technical issues are solvable. If you look at other jurisdictions, um, so maybe just to give people a picture of where we're at. Right now, renewables provide about 16% of the power in Alberta, the energy, uh, which is very low. We've got jurisdictions that have 40 to 50% or even more penetration. And those folks are figuring out how to run a grid reliably with that level of penetration. In, of in Canada, Binyu? Uh, good question. Uh, not with wind and solar, okay. Ryan. So that's, I'm talking about uh, jurisdictions. So this is again across the continent on UK, uh, in UK, for example, their grid operator has to, has a mandate to actually figure out how to run their grid without gas, uh, by without relying on gas by 2025, two years from now. So we can learn from them. Uh, down south to our neighbors to the south, uh, Texas has a lot of wind penetration, obviously California, but um, yeah. And there's a, there's a ton of states also uh, that have way, way higher penetration than Alberta. And they're already working on these reliability issues that people are bringing up. Um, so for us, it's a way down the road, but good for us to try and figure that out right now. But all I'm saying is we have a lot of folks and peers that we can learn from. Um, and then maybe succinctly on also on why Alberta specifically can do it. I think there's a bit of irony here, what's happening uh, in the current conversation, right? We're saying on one hand, we're really afraid Alberta can't achieve a net zero grid. But on the other hand, renewable energy development is happening too quickly for us. So I think that um, juxtaposition in itself tells you that Alberta at its core has the potential to decarbonize its grid uh, really fast. The last bit of evidence I would say on this is where I'm very proud that Pemina has been wrong. So I looked at our last couple of reports. So today Pemina has published three reports on decarbonizing Alberta's grid. And the very first one was published over a decade ago. 
Uh, and we have exceeded the greenest, deep green scenarios that Pemina said that even Pemina thought was too ambitious. Alberta has already exceeded those scenarios. So Alberta's performance on decarbonizing its grid, even to date, is has exceeded any everybody's expectations. Um, and this conversation we're having today is a bit of a testament to that. Yeah, I was blown away. Um, and, and again, we should we'll let people know they can check out Pambana.org if they want to read more and kind of like really sink their teeth into the work that you and your team are doing. Um, but I was blown away uh, based on, on your information to learn that I, I didn't know that, uh, to be honest, um, that Alberta was not just becoming, but maybe already kind of sort of the renewable energy capital of Canada, like more than three quarters of wind and solar development built in Canada last year. More than 75% was in Alberta. I think that would be a surprise to like 99% of Albertans, to be honest with you. Yeah, great percentages there, right? Absolutely. I think there's no kind of sort of on this. Yeah, like as that graph shows, it's uh, we are definitely, without any debate, the leader of renewable energy development in Canada. Yeah, Absolutely. so yeah, and, it's just, it's, you know, it's, I mean, so this is where we see interesting things. Like there are companies like Maple Leaf Foods that are, they're headquartered in Ontario, but they're, they have operations and they're purchasing renewables in Alberta. We've got Amazon, right? Like it could have gone to any province and it's moving into Alberta. And one of the top three reasons they stated for moving into Alberta was that because we had the renewable energy uh, potential and a market where they could procure that renewable energy? So, I mean, can you, you you imagine a world or you imagine a scenario where the bean counters at Amazon move here for, I'm, I'm sure, a, a, a myriad of reasons or at least a few attractive ones. But but if this, as you described, is one of them uh, and then see this moratorium imposed, I mean, all it would take is one big corporate player. I mean, the biggest uh, maybe aside from Apple is Amazon uh, to pull out. They'll, they'll they'll move. I mean, big corporations will move jurisdictions all the time. They don't care. Uh, they have no loyalty. Uh, they're going to do what's best for their bottom line. They're going to do what's best for their own reputation. They're going to do what's best for their own shareholders. Um, you know, you you can envision a scenario where a, a move like this to appease some rural voters uh, or whatever the case may be could could really blow up in the government's face. Uh, that could become a real significant political problem. Yeah, I think this, I know we're always worried about uh, sometimes climate policies driving investments away. This is a really good example of where an anti-climate policy uh, could actually drive investments away. Um, but I don't want to be all doom and gloom about this too, Ryan, right? Like there are some real issues like we talked about uh, around the concerns from rural Alberta. And I think there are practical ways that we need to address them. We just don't need a moratorium to do that. And we need to also be aware of the current processes and tools we already have available to address that, right? And what we need, uh, rather than sending uncertainty into the market with a moratorium, we actually need to have long-term policies that send certainty signals into the market. And I think a really good example of this is what the federal government is doing. So in some ways, it is a bit of a good contrast with this. Uh, but I actually think Alberta can come on top with this. It's the clean electricity regulation. So like I said, the U.S., EPA announced its uh, regulations two months ago. Canada is expected to announce its draft clean electricity regulations anytime soon now. And <clears throat> what that would do is it would provide clarity for folks across the country, including Alberta, on what emission intensity, so how much carbon they can generate for every unit of energy that they produce. 
uh, what emission intensity limits uh, it will exist for them in 2035. So it creates a bit of a runway for people to plan for investors to figure out how they're going to meet that. And the other neat thing about this regulation is, uh, I mean, just from the conversations we've had, they've had a year of uh, consultations, actually, with industry, with provincial governments, with stakeholders, experts. And what we've seen in that is Canada is going towards a technology neutral approach, uh, unlike the U.S. And so this will actually allow for innovation. And similar you know, to how I was saying in Alberta, we're starting to see companies invest in CCUS and hydrogen. So a clean electricity regulation like the one the feds are designing uh, will actually incentivize in Alberta that type of innovation. But it also gives certainty. It gives certainty to industry so they can figure out technologies to invest in. It gives certainty to investors so they know where to invest. It also gives certainty to communities so they can plan for this. Uh, you know, uh, one of the biggest challenges for cleaning the grid is actually um, labor shortages that we're seeing right now. Um, so we need to plan for uh, training of skilled workers to work on those uh, wind farms and solar panels. And, and all of that needs uh, time for planning. So yeah, having this sort of a longer term uh, regulations allows us to do that type of planning. Uh, Binyu, I'm just you, you've thrown a bullseye today on on the assignment, which was to kind of take your expertise and 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 pardon the phrase to to dumb it down so the rest of us can understand it as well. Um, I'm on a fact finding mission this week because this is an area where I've I've got to scale up my learning, um, which leads me to my final question. It is quite possible uh, that I have missed a point or or missed a question on this because I don't have the depth of understanding that you do I'd hate for the interview to end and, and you to say to yourself I wish he would have asked me about this is there anything I mean I'm sure you you give me the impression we could talk about this for 10 hours but is there something major uh, is there a significant storyline or angle on this that, that you think is really important for people to understand or think about that we've not yet tackled Ryan, can I just make two points on that? Then? Please Thank do. You for giving me that space. We should definitely go for beers, by the way. Oh, done. <laughs> Talk about this forever. Yeah. You, you're also asking great questions from really good angles. Um, I think um, the first thing I want to say is what needs to happen next, right? So, um, I mean, this sort of announcement, unfortunately, creates a lot of uncertainty, and you've heard a lot about that from industry already. I think productively looking at what can we do next is, I mean, one thing we can do is cancel the announcement uh, of the moratorium. And then we can look productively at how to address those real concerns from rural uh, communities uh, and municipalities in particular, um, and walk through, do a better job of education of regulations that do exist, identify gaps, work with stakeholders, and improve processes. That is a long-term thing that we need to do, uh, but that it will uh, it'll help Alberta to do that, like have a made in Alberta plan for decarbonizing the grid. I think that would be my main takeaway. Let's create a plan that works for Alberta, that keeps at pace with our neighbors to the south, uh, but delivers it at a way, uh, in a way that Alberta can, uh, that works for Alberta, you know, invest in infrastructure that we need to invest in connections with other provinces and the states. So that's the number one thing is let's have a made in Alberta plan. The other thing I want to say uh, is a vote of confidence to the uh, for, on the Alberta people. <laughs> there are so many smart folks in uh, our province, Ryan, that are working on this. Did you know this Alberta system operator was the first system operator in all of Canada to do a 
in-depth analysis on how to get to a net zero grid. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and it's more uh, comprehensive than anyone has done to date. Um, like I mentioned, you know, our companies are already innovating on CCUS, on hydrogen, on battery storage. We have the largest solar farm in Alberta, in Canada. Um, so we've got companies innovating. Uh, we've got municipalities that are working with renewable energy developers uh, to make sure that they have securities for um, for reclamation, uh, to make sure they get really good deals on hockey rinks or gravel roads that need to be built or um, uh, uh, have, what's that called? High-speed internet <laughs> for oh, their yeah. communities. You know, so like all of this innovation is happening in Alberta and I think we need to all work together um, to move forward on this. And I, I really trust um, the brain power, the innovation, the roll up the sleeves attitude we have in Alberta to make this happen. Uh, this has uh, been a fabulous conversation and, and you've given us lots to work with as, as we continue it over the next couple of days uh, with those that are working in policy and obviously working in, uh, working in governance. I uh, want to thank you sincerely. Uh, we've been talking to Binyu uh, Jackham, our director of the Pemina Institute's electricity program. You can learn more about what she and her team are doing again by checking out Pembina.org. Uh, and and Binyu, just so you know, uh, the beer is always cold at the Real Talk studio, and it is always happy hour, so the door is wide open. Amazing. Count me in. Thank okay. you so much. Sounds <laughs> good, and thank you for your time. Um, we kept Binyu a little bit longer than we asked her to stay for, but I wasn't about to stand in the way of that. That, that was like... Amazing. That was like <laughs> Energy 101 right there, so I appreciate that. With it, all the hullabaloo in Alberta, and then you see the numbers, and we're the ones leading the charge. I had no idea. <laughs> That's something that Alberta should be really proud of. Yeah, 100%. You know, 100%. And we always talk about Alberta as Canada's energy capital. Like mm -hmm. oil and gas capital, yes, of course. And don't yeah. ever be ashamed of that, and don't ever apologize for that. But but. Trends change. Industry moves. Technology improves. And you know, it's great to see. We should be leading awesome. the charge. Yeah. yeah so great. Uh, great comment here from Ken in the live chat. Ken says, remind me, when did we ever issue moratoriums on new oil and gas wells? Uh, well, the UCP government reworked the inadequate LMR rules, uh, talking about liability management. Um, he says we didn't, uh, and it still doesn't fix the problem. Um, I also noticed, and you know, I, I, I'm sitting there kind of scoffing at the the the, the like the concerns around scenery. Uh, I guess that I, you know, I, I don't mean to to shrug those off. I mean, if if somebody does have a problem with it, that's perfectly okay that they have a problem with it. Um, I saw Alyssa say that you know wind turbines are an eyesore and they've got to uh, they've got to improve. Uh, you know, the technology there. And so wind turbines aren't so prominent. Meantime, Curtis says, well, I kind of like the look of wind turbines. They're kind of cool. And then we had Jeremy saying, well, you know, things like aesthetic are subjective, uh, which is obviously a very fair point. Um, I don't think that anybody's putting, you know, non-functioning wind turbines up just because they love the look of them. Uh, <laughs> but Jeremy says, you know, it's maybe a little bit hypocritical for us to find oil derricks beautiful and wind turbines disgraceful. Yeah. Um, you know, we were passing through Fernie this weekend and they've got a really neat installation in Fernie. They have a, a, a wood. I wish I would have taken a picture of it. Um, and an oil derrick, like an oil well, a, a wood oil derrick that was rebuilt in the mm -hmm. 1960s it was originally i think it was installed in like the late 1800s um and super cool i mean i think that it's you know the oil derrick has has become an iconic symbol in the province of alberta because it represents industry and because it's represented quite frankly prosperity 
um, and, and an industry that a lot of people are proud to be a part of. And, uh, I mean, you look at the Edmonton Oilers, used to skate out under the oil, Derek, for many years. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite distillers in the province. Uh, their bottles are shaped like an oil, Derek. Mm-hmm. It is, a, it, it is a, an iconic image. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure that I'm Who's like... Who's that Fernie, Derek? Uh, oh, thanks. Nice call. Yeah, isn't that neat? It's like just a really neat piece of history mm-hmm. and it helps people understand you, you kind of pass through you get this like lesson uh in bc on canadian energy history right you drive through sparwood yeah you see that huge truck first time i went to fernie i took a bus from ontario to fernie oh wow and you just as you're coming into Fer- just the, the drive in the mountains is just incredible yeah it's all on fire right now too uh, by uh, the yeah, way it horrible. sucks I but uh, or at least by sparwood but mm-hmm. crews are doing an amazing job out there but yeah you see like you you, you come through crow's nest pass mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always this has nothing to do with anything but I've, i i've driven through frank uh and seen the frank slide like a hundred times in my life and i still every single time just go wow i mean it's just have you ever seen the frank slide it's like it's it's the wildest yeah i have it's the wildest thing my buddy's commenting he goes isn't it crazy that like an entire jurisdiction's tourism is based on the fact that like a ton of people died in a minute and a half as Turtle Mountain came sliding down. But you, you drive through there and it's just like mm-hmm. blows my mind. But, the, but the, you know, the coal mining and, and, and I was kind of chatting with a buddy who's not necessarily as politically engaged as most mm-hmm. or as some of us anyway. Um, and, and I was just talking to him about this part of the province and Crow's Nest Pass. And, and you know, I mean, the, the coal mining in the eastern slopes and the NDP's plan to put in a provincial park there and then the UCP dialing that back and, mm-hmm. and, and how contentious and politically charged uh, the conversation has been on industry in that part of the province. Yeah. And as you head west, you see a lot of, of, the, of the proud history of coal mining. You see a lot on, on like we said, the, the oil derrick there near Fernie, uh, you head east, and if you're heading towards Lethbridge, you're going to see nothing but wind turbines yeah. uh, dotting the landscape, and, and and it's kind of an interesting dichotomy, you know? Yeah, it totally yeah, is. Kind of cool. You can let us know what you think about this conversation. Uh, again, uh, Environment Minister Rebecca Schultz joining us on Wednesday's show, and Najwan al uh the NDP MLA out of Calgary. She's the energy, or the shadow minister, they call her, uh, for energy, and she'll be joining us on Thursday's show. This conversation is presented by Real Talk sponsors like our friends at Eden Landscaping. Uh, got home from the August long weekend, came out, took a peek at the backyard last night. You know that we're having our space reinvented by this talented team, and it honestly knocked my socks off. I can't wait to show you the, the finished product, the reveal. You can uh, follow my wife, Carrie Skelton, and myself, Ryan Jesperson, on Instagram. If you want to see our stories, our Instagram stories, the updates on this project, what's really blowing my mind is seeing the design manifest itself into real life as they bring our outdoor space to life. Mike and his team on the design front have absolutely nailed it. We said it needs to be attractive, but it needs to be functional. It needs to be a yard where we can host cocktail parties and where dogs can play. And that's not always an easy balance to strike, but they've done exactly that. You can get in touch with the Eden Landscaping team and get your design process started today by visiting Landscape Edmonton. .ca. Wanted to give a shout out to our friends at Local Environmental Services. Uh, we're calling all decision makers, whether it's a big or a small business that you're representing, or maybe you're making a call on behalf of municipalities, chances are you're paying attention to your bottom line, to state the obvious. Now, some people may think, well, local environmental, this is just garbage, right? Garbage and recycling. It's not 
just that to them. They believe that communities deserve better when it comes to service, when it comes to prices, and when it comes to support for local causes. You can view their services online today at localenvironmental.ca. The quote is free, and we can all but guarantee you're going to save money when you take your business to local environmental services. We're talking a lot about the energy industry, obviously, and you know as well as I do that oil sands operations contribute significant carbon emissions in Canada. And that's why the six largest companies in the sector are working together and with governments to take strides on the path to net zero from their operations. A part of that plan includes developing a proposed carbon capture and storage network by 2030. It's going to be one of the world's largest You can learn more about the clear strides to net zero by visiting pathwaysalliance.ca. And if all this talk about mining and wind and solar and natural gas and the oil sands has caught your attention because you're a professional engineer that's working in the space or that wants to be working in the space, we recommend taking two minutes today to check out apexautomation.ca. This is one of the fastest growing automation firms in the country. And just late last year, they celebrated their 10th anniversary. They're marking that occasion by putting out the call to engineers, electrical, instrumentation, computer science, process, mechanical engineers. They're hiring right now. If you'd like to do work in BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, or even down in the Lone Star state of Texas, Whether you're a recent graduate from an engineering school or one with a wealth of experience, if you'd like to work for a team that puts people ahead of profits, that is committed to helping you achieve your professional potential, check out the careers link at apexautomation.ca. You got the photo of Fernie up there. The welcome to Fernie. Yeah, Man, that, I love Fernie. I lived there for uh, six months back in 2000. I didn't know that. Yeah, was the, I used to, back in my days when I wanted to be a professional snowboarder, but only yeah. ever made it to like just below amateur. But I hung out with some of the Burton boys, but I, I went straight to Fernie uh, out of high school for about six months. I lived there for basically the whole, the whole snowboard season. And then a few months after, I wanted to move there. It's such, and I know it's, it's changed now. Uh, back then, the, the ski resort was, was building up. And I know now it, it's, it's a much different, different place. But back then, it was like a little bubble. It was like a little, little community that was just so, I don't know, like back in time or something. It felt like you were like disconnected from the rest of the world. It's just an absolutely beautiful place. I'm so glad you got to go there and, and hang out there this weekend. Yeah, man. And and the snow that they get in the winter is like <laughs> almost second it's to none. Incredible. In Canada. Like yeah. they just get dumped yeah. on in Fernie. And then if, if anybody hasn't ridden, for, I don't know why I'm talking about this now, because now I'm going to obsess over this for the, mm-hmm. for the whole entire week. But it's, the, the Fernie Alpine Resort is just a series of bowls. Incredible. And uh, the back I don't know if you have a favorite, is... but I love Cedar Bowl yeah. um, is, is one of the best. Uh, I think Lizard Bowl is another mm-hmm. name is one of those. So um, they even drove past the Fernie Hospital where I received excellent care for a concussion. Uh, back in the day, oh, yeah, I, I, this weekend. I'm like, no, not happened? this weekend. Yeah, no, no, not this weekend. But I was. Uh, this was back in my 
in my freestyle freestyle skiing days before I converted to snowboarding. Ooh. And uh, so the freestyle skiers will know, like back in the day, I don't know if they still pull this trick. It's it, the, the sport has changed so much. There were no twin tip skis and stuff like no. that back in the day. Uh, but I used to compete mogul skiing. Wow. And um, th- there's the double daffy. Uh, and oh, I can yeah. tell you with experience <laughs> that if you're attempting a double daffy, but you don't get through the second one and you land in the daffy position, uh, it can lead to uh, quite a yard sale. And uh, that was one. These are and these were pre helmets too. Nobody wore helmets back in the day. So no. I will. I would say I would never forget my time in the Fernie Hospital, but I forget almost every single second of it. The double um, daffy is it, is this where like you're kind of running. Yeah, you, yeah, you kind of like run, head. you like stretch. Oh! Yeah, yeah, exactly. You stretch your ski. How are you pulling these photos so quick, man? <laughs> Believe it or not, we didn't. I did not let you know we were going to be talking about double daffies today. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of. I think it's, it's yeah. kind of like an old school. I don't think that the kids are doing double daffies anymore. <laughs> Maybe for good reason. Um, all this talk about solar, gosh, it, it, it's obviously you know one of the, the our most incredible supporters of this show is the team at Kubi Renewable Energy, right? Uh, and you can get your free solar quote today by. By visiting kubienergy.ca. Well, the first episode of every week, usually it's a Monday. Today, it's a Tuesday. Kubi gives us a reason to just focus on the positive and, and to, to take a look at, at somebody or, or maybe a group or, or maybe an, an incident, an event uh, that's filling people with hope and optimism. And it's a tradition we call positive reflections. Now, this one today is the story of a guy that took a pretty lousy situation uh, himself and turned it into uh, a really remarkable outcome. Uh, I want you to meet Rob Kenny. Uh, When Rob Kenny was 14 years old, his dad left. His dad walked out and, uh, you know, it left him wanting more it left him feeling a deficit on the dad front not just on the companionship and not just on the relationship side but on the advice side as well he calls it dad vice and so when rob kenny became an adult he decided to start a youtube channel called dad how do i and if you check it out online go to youtube and just search dad how do i you'll find that, uh, you know, for his four and a half million subscribers, Rob Kenny puts out videos like, Dad, how do I be grateful? Dad, how do I put air in my tires? Dad, how do I make nachos? Dad, how do I wear a suit? He's got lessons on how to apply deodorant and cologne, on how to use a crowbar, on how to plant a tree on how to make sweet cornbread, even how to make a simple budget, money management. It's been such a huge response to his YouTube channel that just last year, Rob Kenny produced and published a book, Dad, How Do I? Practical Dad Advice for Everyday Tasks and Successful Living. It's his response taking a lousy situation and turning it into a positive for literally millions of kids, teens, and adults in the same boat. I absolutely love it. When I heard about his YouTube channel, I spent an hour watching his videos, and I encourage you, regardless of your situation, to do the same thing. It's Rob Kenny, the man behind Dad, How Do I? in the spotlight on today's 
Positive Reflections, presented by our good friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You know, speaking of Positive Reflections, wanted to let you know that if you're a regular audience member to this show, you're probably going to remember Mr. T. You remember Mr. T and the principal at his school, New Murnham School, Daniel Erickson, that joined us on the show a while back after he was recognized with the Prime Minister's Award for Teaching Excellence? Well, their programs have continued to rack up further awards and achieve international acclaim. And so, as a first, coming up on this Friday's Real Talk, we're building our roundtable around the success stories at New Murnham School. Mr. T is going to join us. Principal Erickson's going to join us along with one of their students that's helping turn a building in their town into a net zero enterprise. That's coming up in our Real Talk Roundtable this Friday. We hope you'll join us between now and then. Make it a great week. And thanks for being such a great friend of Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.